Just want to demonstrate. No. This is Pastor Dennis. And yeah. This is uh, they call they call this like merch now. It's like merchandise. This is the Greater Grace Frederick logo. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, if you don't I'm have fourth logo, they're selling it. No. So if you don't have merch for your church, it might be like merch you know, for the church behind the curve. So I'm it's called merch. swag. It's swag. swag. There you go. There you go. I like swag. the swag better. And we take a Venmo, Visa card, Mastercard, and we take some some money in our pocket. <laughs> hey, it's uh, so good to be here, isn't it? Uh, just uh, being here in the prayer. How many times do we need just to get away from everything to actually sit and pray? I mean, uh, and a lot of us work full-time jobs, and we get up and we pray for 5, 10, 15 minutes in the morning, maybe. <laughs> and we go to work, and uh, we're in the world system. And we're leading churches on Sunday. And then we're like, you know, supposed to be spiritual. <laughs> you know, and we need to get away and pray. It's amazing. And then to hear the worship, and then just to lift our hands. And like, God, take your burden away, and... Sitting in the presence of God is amazing. Okay, so I just want to do a quick little thing. If you are a part of the Frederick team, if you could actually just stand up. I'm not doing this to embarrass you, but you might be embarrassed, but yeah, stand up. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. These are guys over there, and every single six stand up again. So you're just going to kind of continue this song. There's a point I'm trying to make. If you've been to the Frederick Church before, like ever, if you could also stand. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Again. Now, keep standing, keep standing. Now, uh, Bible school teachers, you're looking around, some of these young guys, you have taught them, right? So if you've taught one of them, anybody that's standing up, please stand up also. <laughs> okay, so let's do this backwards. Um, if you taught somebody standing here, sit down. <laughs> and now, because they didn't teach you, you guys that are Ben to Frederick, you guys got to sit down. Right? Yeah, you're still standing. And now, because of that, there's no team. So, team, sit down. Hmm. The, um, this isn't what I was going to speak about, but just an interesting thought. Last night we talked from Acts chapter 2, verse 1, talking about the filling of the spirits, and everybody runs to the verse speaking about tongues, and actually we almost got in an argument about it one night. <laughs> and I said, well, hold your horses, you know? Like, something's wrong here in the service, let's stop. And we started talking about what preceded the filling of the Holy Spirit, was this idea of Acts chapter 2, verse 1, is that they were sitting and they were of one accord. There were 120 people, and the Greek text says that they had not only one accord, but it could also mean one mind or one passion. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, we read what that passion was, what that mind was, and it was the mind of Christ. So when you have a group of people, and I loved, I mean, that was a good group of people standing up. That is what happens when the body of Christ plans a church. You know, and it's like, it's not like, you know, I'm bored. You know, none of us plan churches because we're bored. It's too tough to be bored. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's not like, 
you know, here is a man or here is somebody and we're going to go and do something amazing and we have the superhuman complex. No, it's not that. It's the fact that there is a mind that is being like, promoted or, or being elevated in the body to go and do something that's on the heart of God. And thank you, Bible school teachers, for investing in these guys. Because if you didn't, I wouldn't have a team. Thank you guys for coming and visiting, because if you didn't, I wouldn't have a team. And thank you, team, for being there so faithfully, because if you didn't, we wouldn't have a church in Frederick today. And you know what? Thank you for having a church in Frederick today, because I could list, I mean, I could sit here and spend my whole time telling stories about how people found the church. You know, 50% of our church has come from a street evangelism. And then the other ones, the way they come to church, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I can't explain how they, they found our church. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my dad's back there. They were watching a YouTube preacher or a Facebook preacher. And in the chat, there was a lady who says, I, I need to find a church. Long story short, guess where she ends up coming to church? A preacher in Tennessee talks, you know, somebody's on that chat talking to somebody in Maine, and they find a church in Frederick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the heart of God. It's amazing. Let's open our Bibles for a few minutes. I want to talk about momentum. I want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. It's a really amazing passage. I think if we listen, we can all make our own applications into our own ministry. But the idea is that we need momentum. What is the idea of momentum? I mean, it's like, it's, in a worldly sense, it is confidence. It is courage. Our courage is high. And we think we are the best. And even though that we belong to a small team, you think of a sports team, right, Adam, with your son on football? I mean, you think you belong to a small team, but right when the beginning of the game starts, you have courage, you have confidence, and you think you can win. This is what momentum means. So let's apply that in a spiritual sense. What is spiritual momentum? Spiritual momentum is that in me that I understand who I am in the flesh, meaning that I know that I'm inferior. <laughs> but here's the amazing thing about believers is that I can know who I am and my ability Yet that doesn't stop me from having momentum. It doesn't stop me from having strength and confidence. It doesn't stop me from stepping on the ball field and tackling that guy as hard as I can because I have a perception about who I am, not only in the flesh, but also who I am in the spirit of God. So here, so spiritual momentum is I know who I am in the flesh, but I also understand who I am in my position but also what God has called me to do. Now, how many of you guys have needed, outside of God, needed convincing that God has called you to be a pastor? Mm. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we need encouragements, but you know what, sometimes it's just what you do. Even in your discouragements, what do you find yourself doing? You find yourself thinking about God. You could be on a bus sitting next to somebody who is 
and, and God pricks on your hearts to talk to them, but you don't. <laughs> and it's okay. But what's happening is that God pricks your heart. Mm. That is God's calling is in your life. So all of us have spiritual momentum. And 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, this is an amazing verse. It says, now there was a long war, I love that, between the house of Saul and the house of David. Okay, now there's a presupposition here that we have to understand that David was anointed to be king, was he not? Okay, we are all anointed here. We, we have a position in Christ. We have a ministry with God, and we have been anointed in that ministry. That is, that is something that is an absolute, okay? We, we are not questioning that because Saul was anointed, but we also read that David was anointed. Mm. Now, if anybody was to question their anointing, if it were me, I would say it would be David. Because if you look at the storyline, right, Saul is anointed once, and then he is king. David is anointed three times and doesn't become king for seven years. So if anybody is to question their calling, to question their anointing, it could be David. But you continue to read the verse, and it says that the house of David, this is amazing, he grew in strength and more strength. And the house of Saul, what happened? Became weaker and weaker. Interesting. The same word for grow is also the same word for becoming in the Hebrew. Meaning that in my life, there is the opportunity for me to become strong in my ministry and to, you know, capitalize, we could say, on that momentum. Like we have that confidence. And we're not talking about worldly confidence. We're talking about a biblical truth about my position and something that God has put on my heart. You know, this, this isn't like, oh, I, I have confidence, you know, and here is like this scrawny little kid going to take on, you know, this huge linebacker. No, this is spiritual truth about who I am and what God has called me to do. So I have that opportunity to kind of move forward in that, or I could actually move forward in my humanity. Mm. And when I look at Saul and David, they are two very opposite types of people. Both were anointed by God. Both were being called to lead a nation. And Saul reigned for 40 years. Even in his anointing, even in his disobedience, even in the kingdom being taken away, he still reigned for 40 years. But what was his reign like? See, in ministry, this is amazing because a lot of pastors, they lose their momentum because they lose their identity. Their identity becomes the ministry. Their identity becomes the merch, you know, the, the cool shirt you're wearing. You know, the, their identity becomes how many people are sitting in church. Their identity, I mean, it's a, and that affects the anointing of God. See, if you don't have your identity right then your anointing will be wrong. And there are, yeah, I mean, 20,000 pastors, right, that left in the year 2020, 4,000 churches that shut down during COVID. I read another statistic this morning that said 50% 50 of pastors said that if they had the financial opportunity, they would leave the ministry. (laughs) 
That's why none of you are paid. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? 50%. I met a, a man, Michael, who was his name on Evangelism the other day. Uh, he works for the Department of Energy in Gaithersburg, uh, Maryland. And he said that he wanted to become a pastor. And then he took a physics class and then decided he wanted to be a scientist. I'm like, well, that's cool. So I asked the question, how was your walk with God? He just looked at me and smiled. He says, I, I don't talk to God. I, I believe that he's there, but I haven't been to church since my freshman year of college. Isn't that amazing? Here is the calling of God on a man's life to be a pastor. And you could take away that calling. Okay, now you're called to be a scientist. But does that... Does, does that function, how you're functioning, does that determine your identity? It shouldn't, right? So here's that word, grow and become. That word also means how we behave. Okay, That's very important because we have this idea that growing and also becoming can be very passive, right? But actually in, in the Septuagint, this word is actually in the active voice meaning that it is something that, that I produce in my life, meaning that it's a way that I learn how to behave. I learn how to behave in a certain way, and the way that I learn to behave will determine my either growth or my becoming weaker. Now, if I am so concerned about growing and becoming stronger, or if I'm concerned about becoming weaker, then I'm actually, again, missing the point. Because the very point is that I am anointed in my relationship with God. My anointing comes from the relationship with God before it comes to the anointing in my uh, ministry with God. Yes. This is amazing. Let's, let's turn a couple chapters to chapter 5. A couple minutes here. And it's funny, you know, we talked about this in Frederick the other day, 1 Samuel chapter 10, how Saul responded in the presence of God. You know, Samuel said, wait for me and I will show up and there will be an offering and, you know, everything will be good and you'll be king, you know, awesome, great. You, you hear, and what, what God is saying is here is an opportunity for you to grow. You have an opportunity to grow. So in those, what was it, seven days or something? Yeah. In those seven days, the enemy comes, puts fear in the people's hearts, so people turn on Saul, and the man of God is late. So what does Saul do? Makes his own sacrifice. What do we do when the enemy comes? I mean, it has, you know, this week, you know, we're talking with Pastor Jason, I have never experienced spiritual warfare as much as this past week. Mm. The devil taking out a person after another person in one week, and then another person, mm. and then another person, and then even last night showing up, the devil, the devil, the devil. But what do we do? We don't respond in the heart of Saul. We don't respond that way. We don't sit there and our knees don't start knocking. You know, we're chafed in the mind, right, Pastor Steve? There's something wrong with us. We're in the cave. We're with David. And we're, there's something missing in our brain. So when we see the fear, we don't run. 
away. We run towards. Actually, these kind of situations, what does it do? It actually gives us fuel. It fuels the fire, and we say, you know what? well, maybe I am doing something right with God. Amen. Maybe I am right on the cusp of what God is doing in my life or in the ministry or movements of God. Maybe I'm right on the top of what the Holy Spirit is saying. So therefore, I'm going to keep pressing and keep pressing and keep pressing. Second Samuel chapter 5, in closing. I'm just going to read these verses and make a few comments. It says, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed king, uh, David, king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek out David. <laughs> Amazing. You're anointed by God, and here comes the enemy. Here comes the enemy. And when David heard of it, he went down to their stronghold. Now the Philistines came and spread themselves out in the valley of Ritham. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I have certainly given the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal Prism and defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemy, uh, has, has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of waters. Therefore, this is the name of this place. Isn't that an amazing verse? You know what that word means? It means that there was a force that was so strong that it opened something that couldn't be opened. It was shut. When we pray, we ask God, you know, please open doors for us. Open doors that can't be shut. This is exactly what was happening with David. There was a door that was shut. There was an enemy that was coming. There was a victory that maybe could be seemingly, be there, he could be defeated. There was something, and it's almost like in a natural sense, this is an absolute. So here comes David, and he prays. He falls on his knees. I mean, how often do we emphasize prayer in our ministry? And how many people show up to the prayer meetings? We had a beautiful night. And, you know, I'm not saying this in, in a boasting way, but we had a beautiful night last night before coming here. And um, we spent 40 minutes at our weekly Bible study and just praying before we even had the message for 40 minutes. And it's not like, wow, it's but it is, wow, it's amazing. Because what happens when we go to God, we say, God, hey, what should we do? He breaks something that is unbreakable. Yes. And it's crushed before us. Now, read verse 21. It says, and they abandoned their idols there. And so David and his men carried them away. Hmm. See what happens when there is an anointing and there is a man that is willing to fight? And I want to go beyond that, that when there is an anointing and when there is a team that is willing to fight. Because David didn't go out there and fight by himself. He led the team. He led the army out there. And they went and they fought. So look what happens when there is an anointing and when there is the, the ability to fight. That the enemy is broken. That which could not be broken is broken. I mean, we, there are so many strongholds in people's lives in our ministry. And you know what? And maybe some of us here have strongholds in our own lives, and they need to be broken. 
And for the ministry to grow, for, for the house of David to grow, what has to happen is that these enemies have to be defeated. And as they are defeated, what happens? The name of David becomes stronger, right? His kingdom becomes stronger. His authority becomes more solidified. That anointing that he received with Samuel becomes a reality. So in our ministry, as we are being anointed and we are exercising our anointing and those strongholds are coming down, what does it do? It solidifies the anointing that's already in our lives. But when we listen to like that voice of Saul, it is the mind of you know the feudal minds, the fleshly minds. It is a mind that doesn't think with God. When we listen to that mind, what happens? You know, the knees start shaking and we run away from the battle. And instead of my anointing becoming a part of my daily life, it becomes a story of what once was. See, we're not interested in what we are. Right? We are interested in what was. We love the history of our ministry. And that is a foundation that propels us forward. Amen. But we're not living on yesterday's manna. But we're seeing God do something. You know, we started, uh, the, the church at Frederick started, um, yes, a year and a half ago or so. Uh, it started with Pastor Jason. He was door knocking with a team in the area doing a Saturday Bible study. Um, and my understanding is that there was only a few people, if any, coming on Saturday to the Bible study. And, um, you know, I don't know what, what happened, honestly. I mean, I don't know what happened. We, we started showing up, right? A team was showing up, and we were spending hours on the streets, knocking on people's doors, hours on the phone. And, um, and we, we don't know what we're doing. Um, we just go ahead and do it. And, and we see, like, fruit happening. Mm. And, yeah. and you know what? It's because there's an anointing, right? Mm. But not only here. There's an anointing in the team members. There's an anointing in the people that visit. There's an anointing in the people that have discipled the team members. Yeah. There's an anointing. And the thing is, is, like, in my spiritual momentum and me wanting to press forward, it doesn't, mm. like, stop like when trouble hits, it stops when I'm standing alone. And I say this carefully because there were times that David was alone, right? And he had to encourage himself in the Lord. But if I find myself where there is no team, then I have to question, am I like Saul? Maybe there's something in my life where I'm not, I don't have the mind of God. And I need to find that team because it takes more, you know, it, it, I mean, it's, a, it's taking a team to plant this church. On this past Sunday, uh, we had 52 people in our service. You know, um, we have Bibles. We started our first semester of Bible school. On Sunday, we have uh, eight, seven, eight students in our Bible school class. You know, and, and um, it's, it's the ministry of God. Mm. It's the fact that there's a team, there's the fact that there are people that are anointed, that there are people that have the house of David atmosphere, and they're, they're growing in strength. Mm. They're growing in strength. And what I want to say 
is that if you're not there, all right, maybe this encourages you to be there, and then to keep, you know, growing, keep growing in what God has given you. Amen. Yeah, Pastor had you so, anyway, welcome, Pastor Hyland. Hey! Yeah! Okay, this is going to be a Spanish kind of message, um, because I know that's what you want. Right out the gate. And so, uh, we really, really want to talk about attitude. I know you haven't gotten enough watching the news. So we're going to supplement your bad news today. But it's going to work out well. We hope. <laughs> so, all right. So we're in the uh, we're in the the Legion Hall, let's say, and there's some event that has happened, and somehow, oh, okay, I'm the chaplain, <laughs> and you all came here, and or, excuse me, actually, none of you are saved. Okay, can you think back? Can you set the way back machine? Uh, to a time when you were not saved, can you do that? Just, just recalibrate. Just in your mind. Okay? Remember those days. And uh, so you are sitting in the in the Legion Hall, the Union Hall. This someone has passed away. You've asked the chaplain to um, to come say something. So, all right. Okay, so get that mindset. Not too much, but just a little bit. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, Jimmy Smith, our dear friend, has passed on. And uh, I'm here as a chaplain, too. And I've been invited here to speak about things concerning life, life and death. So... What we're going to do is we're going to put ourselves before God's x-ray machine. God doesn't need an x-ray machine. His eyes are the x-ray machine. Mm -hmm. And let us take this information, which is from the Bible, and see what God has to say about us. So the first thing we're going to is our head. We're going to see God's x-ray machine. We're going to look at how he sees us. So these are the results, the readout from the x-ray. Our imagination is evil from our youth. Our understanding is darkened. And our mind is blind. Really doesn't understand or know what's going on from God's perspective. Now, I know that's hard for you all to understand, but let's just get God's outlook on this. 
And because of that, the result is that we are foolish, disobedient, deceived, obeying our lusts, malicious, envious, and hateful. So now maybe you say, oh, that's where all that comes from. Because if we were honest, we would have to say, yeah, that's actually factual and accurate. So let's move down to the heart in God's x-ray machine. It says our evil heart is filled with evil thoughts, adultery, fornication. Oh, that's where that originates. Murder, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceitfulness, lasciviousness, sensuality, pride, and foolishness comes from the heart. Now, I know at this stage you guys are saying, oh, I didn't really come here for this. Uh, if it weren't for Jimmy, I'd be walking out of here. But in respect to him, I'm sitting through this. I understand that because I sat where you sat. Well, let's continue with God's x-ray. Because of this condition that God sees, which we all fit, the result is that we are God's enemies. And we are, in fact, dead in our sins. And we are, therefore, under his condemnation. And as a result, we are under his wrath, punishment, judgment. The weight of God's holiness is over us. And one day, that wrath and judgment will be executed. Absolutely. This is the condition we're in. But I know some of you are thinking, well, possibly for some people, but there's got to be exceptions to this horrible description that you're giving us, Mr. Chapman. I know that's what you're thinking, but let's see what Paul had to say about that. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Everyone go, no, not one. No, not one. No, one understands. No one seeks God. No one hasn't gone out of the way of God's will. Everyone has become, from God's perspective, useless. No one does good. No, not one. No one fears God. Here we are. No one fears God. No one does good. No, not one. Okay. So. Is, there, is that it? You're going to say amen now? Cut us loose? All the more we feel motivated to go to the Jimmy's pub. <laughs> you know, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1, 2, and 3, 
You know, Mr. Chadwell, we would like some good news. Well, let's talk about the good news. The Apostle Paul in Romans, that's a book in the Bible, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Good news. Two verses. Good news. But then Paul slammed on the brakes, and he went from Romans 1.18 to chapter 3 and verse 20. That's a whole bunch of words. Bad news. Bad news. Bad news. Can you guys say bad news? <laughs> Good news? Bad news. And then he finishes in 3.21 to 31 with good news. Mm. Why the emphasis? It seems lopsided. Mm. It doesn't seem right. He's highlighting all the bad stuff. It's because there's so much bad stuff that we are not conscious of it, but God is. Right. And he sees that through the Apostle Paul. Paul had to make that extremely clear. He needed to make it clear so that we would become little weeny teeny people. Yes. Humbled before his holy presence. There's a prophet named Isaiah. When he saw a vision of the Lord in his glory, he said, woe is me. Translation, I'm a dead man. Yeah. That's what he saw. That's what he said. I am a dead man. Apostle John saw the Lord. He fell on his face. This is our holy God. God wants to humble us. We must be humble. We must realize the danger that we're in. We must realize that if we die without Christ, there is no hope. It is hopeless. Now as we come to the other side, I want you to see, thank you for being good listeners. When we read through the book of Acts, that is a book that chronicles the history of the church especially through the apostles Peter and then Paul. And we see, for example, in these messages that they preached to the people, to the Jews at the first part of the book, and then to the Jews and the Gentiles, we see this recurring theme in the apostles' message. We see, for example, in the second chapter, of Acts, after Peter, the denier, filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with boldness, got up and preached to the people, it says the people were pricked in their heart. Mm. They were pricked in their heart. The word means to be violently agitated, to sting, to pierce thoroughly. Mm. When the word of God is preached, it has the ability to make us feel really bad really, really bad, super agitated. And so the result was, they said, what shall we do? I hope that's what you're thinking this morning. Because I'm starting to make me feel that way. It's God making you feel that way. It is God bringing to light all of the darkness in our hearts and in our minds. So they said, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent. Change your mind. 
Rethink your life. Incorporate what I'm saying. Make the adjustment. And be baptized, every one of you. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation, mm. this crooked, perverted generation. Save yourself. If you stay on that train, it's going off the cliff mm. into the lava-flowing volcano. And then Peter, in the next chapter, he is preaching and he says, you delivered over and denied the Holy One, the Righteous One. How could this man who denied the Lord say three times, how could he accuse them of uh, denying the Lord? Well, that's not for this group. That's another thing. Okay, sorry. I crossed over. But he said... And that message, and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet, that is Jesus, who will not hear that prophet, shall be destroyed from among the people. Stephen, chapter 7, has an opportunity to have a message by the Holy Spirit. And he gave this beautiful history of Israel. It's great to read. If you want to see the Bible in brief, you can go to Acts chapter 7 and read his message. He gave a beautiful summary of the Old Testament history. But then it came to a point where he went from historian to preacher, and Stephen, who was a deacon who was filled with faithfulness and righteousness from God, all of a sudden, his message took a turn, and he said, You stiff-necked, uncircumcised, Holy Spirit-resisting, murderous betrayers. <laughs> and he got their attention. <laughs> and it says that they were cut to the heart. The word diaprio means to saw asunder. Wow. He cut them with his words. And as a result, they gnashed on him with their teeth. They started grinding their teeth wow. in, from inner pain and discomfort. And then it says, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Yeah, that's factual. That's actual. Then they cried out. They screamed in the Greek. They croaked like a raven. It says with a loud voice of megasphone, and stopped, compressed their ears, and ran, made a mad dash upon him with one accord. It was like the pigs rushing down the mountainside into the lake. Demon-inspired, demon-empowered men could not stand to hear the preaching of the Word of God through this humble servant, Stephen. What power he had. And it says, and cast them out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Yeah, he never forgot that. But that's another story. You can come to our church. I'll leave my cars in the back and hear the more stories. <laughs> So, judging from the rousing response, this was a very good message. Stephen. 
He saved the best for last. Okay, so as we as we come to the uh, to the end, um, there's so much uh, to talk about, but we cannot at this time. It says in Acts 16, this is Paul and Silas in prison. Uh, now, just to say this, this man we read, there's there's no rebuke for this man. There's just the gospel, the belief, the salvation, the transformation, the family. Why is that? I mean, see, Mr. Chapel, if you're going off, this, this is not consistent with your, the point you're trying to make. No, the point is that if you read what happened to the jailer, ready to fall on his sword, <clears throat> he was already humbled. He was already, he was ready to take his life. He was ready to hear the good news. He already knew the bad news. So this is the point here. When Paul preached to the Athenians on Mars Hill, he did not say, God loves you. Read Acts 17. He did not say, God loves you, God is love. And I'm not saying, I mean, that's what we say and we should say. But under the leading of the Holy Spirit, Paul did not communicate that way to them. And he said this, verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. This is what you Athenians need to hear. You need to repent because you don't understand and your head is sick and your heart is faint like everyone's is. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and he has and of this he has given assurance of all by raising him from the dead. Mm. Okay, and then I think finally we can look at Acts 20. And Paul is speaking to the Ephesian uh, elders at Miletus. And it said, uh, now, and, and actually folks, uh, bear with me, I'm going to skip down to chapter 24. I think this is more on target. This is Paul before Felix, and Felix is with his wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish, and he sent for Paul, this is 24, 21, and he heard him speak about faith in Christ. And so he is a prisoner. He's called to speak to Felix. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, notice the topics. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Go away for the present. Because he was being sawn asunder in his heart ready to gnash his teeth. Instead, he said, go away. We'll talk later. Probably never did. So the point here is, point here is that God has given us the authority to lovingly, in the spirit, cause people to be alarmed when, they, when we share the gospel. And I think that's why we see so many so-called deconstructionists today yes. who have left the faith. Remember that guy 
I kissed marriage goodbye or something Joshua like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what else did he kiss goodbye? <laughs> he kissed the faith goodbye yep. with a whole list of other celebrity kind of people. Was it that they never really understood the depth of their depravity and heard, let's say, a light gospel message with shallow roots that when the world came after them, it just uprooted them and took them away? It is good to be humbled before God. It is good to understand the desperate condition that we are in so that the good news sounds really good. If the bad news isn't very bad, then the good news isn't very good. But if we understand that the condemnation of God is over our head, like a grand piano hanging there, and we understand that, we are in big trouble. We are children of wrath. The cannons of God's justice are aimed toward us, ready to light the fuse. We are in serious trouble. And so therefore, I'll just finish by saying that Colossians 1.28, Paul said that we proclaim warning every man. He said we proclaim warning every man and then teaching every man. He warned about what we're just talking about, the bad news, the judgment of God. I'm only saying this, you know, we, we can't, you know, the letter kills. Yeah. We can't say this stuff in the letter. It has to be, it's not an end in itself. It is the way to the end, which is the grace of God and the mercy of God and the free salvation and being declared righteous by his grace because of his blood. That's where we're going with this. Mm. But sometimes you got to go that way to get there and to have it stick. Because if it's uh, like God said about his people, they were healed lightly. They were healed lightly. We don't want people to be saved lightly. Like some of the seeds that were sown, the parable of the sower. It was sown lightly. And it didn't endure because they really didn't understand. 2 Corinthians 5.11 Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Persuading men with the bad news so that the good news looks absolutely awesome and wonderful. And then Romans 2.5 Otherwise, every human being on this earth that is not saved Every day that they live is not good because they're only accumulating wrath for the day of wrath. That's why this gospel message, there's no option. If people need to hear it. People are in desperate need of it. Oh, are we back in the union hall? Okay. Amen. Tom, I shared somebody. Hey, so fun to be here with you guys. Um, it's always such a challenge right here preaching to a room full of preachers. So um, I was going to talk a little bit today about trust, the um, 
It's such an interesting thing I've been thinking about. I talked to Pastor Fowler about it yesterday. You know, trusting people um, with with our ministries, which is very interesting. Um, a lot of times we have a hard time, you know, letting. At least I did. I don't know about you, but I had a hard time. Some people are very good at this. A hard time trusting people, you know, with portions of the ministry and you know things that I felt that. Um, I could do better, actually, frankly. Probably could, you know? <laughs> but when you think about it, it made me think about it. Well, I see it about Jesus. And interesting how he was able somehow to put his trust in a group of men who actually really were lacking of confidence themselves, right? They were in many ways unqualified to do the things that he was asking them to do in a sense. Nonetheless, he trusted them to build his church. I think that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That should say a lot about you guys right now. I mean, it's interesting, right? Look at this verse. I was meditating last night on John 14 through 17. But Jesus said um, in his prayer to the Lord in John 17, 14, through 18, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. I like, he starts with that, I have given them your word. The word is the power right there, right? Uh, we say the word of God does the work of God. And um, just as I am not of the world, he said, I do not pray that you should keep them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. It's okay. Jesus was sent, but Jesus was perfect, right? And the people that he sent into the world, as Pastor Hadley reminded us, uh, were not perfect in many ways. Uh, but one thing that seems evident when we read this uh, chapter 14 through 17 is that Jesus' disciples, they really weren't ready for leadership in many ways. They weren't ready for leadership roles. Um, and um, the church, though, nonetheless needed this gospel message to go out through the world. And they were the ones responsible for it, which I think is crazy if you think about it. Well, if you're a control person especially. You know, like, how do you do that? How do you give people that are unqualified the responsibility of preaching the gospel and, you know, having this church? I mean, Jesus had already done the work, all right? That, so, like, I thought about that, too. I'm thinking, well, actually, the work is done, right? 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 Like, he doesn't need us. I mean, mm. the work is finished. Yes. The work is finished. If nobody, I mean, if one person got saved, you know, it, his work would have been done. What he did was done. But obviously, God so loved the world, and he wanted this church to spread, and, and he did it, though, with what he had, and those are people that were, in all ways, very unqualified, and uh, these guys that he had were seemingly clueless, actually, as to what to do if Jesus wasn't there, right? They had no problem when Jesus was there, but when Jesus wasn't there, they didn't know what to do. They didn't want him to go anywhere. Look what it says in 14.5 of John Thomas said to him, Lord, we do, not, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? How can we know? How can we get where you're going? 
And uh, that's basically where they were at. Jesus, what are you talking about? What do you mean that you're leaving? I don't understand. And in many ways, we don't want to do anything, right? If you don't, if you aren't there, if you're not there. And I, that's not a bad thing necessarily. But at the same time, you know, here's these guys, and we're talking about the world. We're talking about leading this new religion, if you will, this new idea, this total uh, transformation of the world through the blood of Christ. Uh, and he's giving it all in the hands of them. I mean, I just kind of think Jesus could have done it better himself without them, right? I think, in fact, that they did not hear, um, but it was so horrifying, right, of a thought not to have him. Um, you know, they were putting, you know, they were, they were freaking out in, 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 in a lot of ways. But uh, even after the resurrection and the appearance of Christ to the disciples, over this extended period of time, it still seems that they didn't have a clue. They didn't know. So it's not like they said, oh, okay, yeah, no problem, Jesus. We got, we got you. We got your back. We're going to take over. We're going to run the show. It's going to be all good. But instead, look at uh, John 21, 3. This is after the resurrection, right before the ascension. And Simon Peter said to him in verse 3, I am going fishing. And they said to him, his other cohorts, um, we are also going with you. Mm. And they went out immediately and got into the boat and that night and caught nothing. Uh, yet Jesus still, and this is my point, I think, Jesus still trusted um, them. He trusted them actually to fulfill his mission, which is so interesting. I personally feel oftentimes, or I felt, and I'm trying to like eliminate this from my life, but I'm feeling like sometimes I don't trust people. Mm. I think always, oftentimes, I don't trust people mm. with responsibilities, with the function of the church. Um, things that were once mine, right, to do. Um, and I always think, too, well, the church will never survive without me. And I hope that that's not the case, right? Because I won't be there forever, right? But, um, but I think if we want our churches to survive, if we want our churches to flourish, that in fact we have to rely on other people. And I'm sure you already do, and I'm kind of talking to myself, I'm kind of learning this. It's probably something that I have been learning, but it, you know, it's only taken me 16 years you know, to kind of come to this you know, realization. But um, I was once under a leader many, many years ago that uh, kind of informed the team. Like, I don't know, like, where this came from. I think, like, he was very insecure in many ways, but he, maybe he thought it was very cool to say, but he informed the team, uh, the whole team, that he could not trust us. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure there were a lot of reasons why, you know. Not but good. I think the biggest reason um, for him making that statement uh, was that he thought he had authority, and he thought it was cool, you know. And they're like, yeah, that's right. He maybe heard that from somebody else that might have been going through something that said, yeah, I don't trust people anymore. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm going to take that on. And um, and I think he did think that that would give him more authority. But the truth is that. Um, after hearing, kind of seeing, they didn't trust us, you know, it, it wasn't actually very long until things started to fall apart on that team, 
You know, like, oh, you don't trust me. Well, I don't trust you. How's that? <laughs> I don't trust you very much. Uh, and that's the thing. I ended up leaving, actually, that team within six months of that statement. It's like, wow. really? Like, you don't trust me? And, and, I mean, I get it. You know, it's hard to trust people. It's hard to, especially if you felt betrayed or whatever the case is. But it, and I think that might have been the frame of reference. There was some betrayal somewhere. I don't know. But um, also... You know, I think maybe that the person was paranoid. Mm. Uh, and we also have to be careful of this paranoia. Yeah. You know, it's like, whatever. Yeah, okay, everybody's out to get you. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that way, you know, in that sense. But I do think that trust engenders trust, right? That the more that we trust people, yes. the more that we allow people, you know, latitude uh, in our ministry, you know, whether they succeed or whether they fail. It doesn't really matter all that much. Um, they'll trust me as a leader, and they'll be willing to move forward, I think, in the vision of the church if we put trust in them, if we put trust, if we give them power in a sense. Um, I mean, without trust, we might grow the church ourselves, and we, we can in many ways. We might grow the church ourselves. And the problem there is um, that, as you would know, the church will only grow as long as we're strong, as long as we can do everything. And then eventually when we can't do everything, when it, you know, to try to maintain the things that we do becomes very difficult when we can't do it anymore, when we don't want to do it anymore. Mm. Um, if we do all the important things, right, it might um, go well, right? Until we can't do it. You know, that's the problem. Until we can't do it. Um, I remember when we started the church in Silver Spring. And, like, I felt naturally that I was best at everything. Right? And the truth is, I probably was. <laughs> and I'm not saying that in a proud way. I, I had a lot of experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did do all the preaching. I did all the preaching. Actually, I think Pastor Scheller told me that just you should just preach. You'll let everybody know that you're the leader and all that kind of stuff. But I was also, I didn't like the song leading very much. So guess what? Wow. Wow. Let's hear it. Lead the song. Sing, sing. <laughs> Watch out, Matt. That was very good. <laughs> so one day, um, we were up there. And actually, we were doing the song. I remember this very well. We were doing the song that um, Pastor Matt was doing earlier. And actually, it's not a. I was like amazed that you were able to do that song solo on guitar. I forget the song, but it was one of the earlier ones. They did, and there's a lot of changes and ups and downs, and, and Mindy Stein was playing piano, and, you know, we're out there singing, and it was so messed up. Like, that was our last song, and literally in the middle of the song, I just walked off the stage. <laughs> and the memorable part is that Mindy just kept playing the piano all the way through, like, nobody's on the stage. 
And someone actually said, did he just walk off the stage and go? <laughs> yes, I did. And that was my last time. That's my last time on that one. But, but then the question is, you know, can anybody set up a table right? Can anybody put a chair in the right place? Can anybody, right? Of course they can, and of course they can't. But how will people, how, how will people, right? How will they grow if they're not allowed to go beyond your basic instruction? You know? That's amazing. So, I remember one time, I was such a terrible leader, especially at the beginning. I remember one time, these people were setting up for our first potluck. This is in 2006. And, and I told them, because I'm a good leader, you set it up just any way you like. Right? And literally, 45 minutes later, I walked back in the room and I said to the one girl, I said, yeah, any way but that way. Yeah. But one thing about building trust in people is that we always, we take a risk, right? But, like, think about Jesus taking the risk. I mean, he knew, of course, but he still, he lets us, he lets you, the people that Pastor Hadley just described, we're the ones who go and we preach the message. We're the ones that go and we grow the churches and all that. But for us to truly grow and for us to truly create more leaders in our church, which we need to do, right? We need to expand our leaders. We need to do less. I hate to say it because I love doing I was talking to Everett today, like, I love the fact that we have a building, and I could go there and have a ton of stuff to do, but I'm, instead, I'm going to work on the building for eight hours, exhaust myself, and then sit and read my Bible for five minutes, you know? It's like, that was stupid. Why did I do that? You know, why do I think I have to do everything? And really, this is the idea that there's no doubt that it can be easier for us not to trust other people. Right, because we feel like maybe they will disappoint us. We know that we're gifted in those things, and we are. Um, and it's hard to train someone else to take the responsibility from us and trust that they'll follow through with it in the end. And sometimes they won't, to be honest. Sometimes they won't, but actually, we'll never know. We'll never know, and we'll never grow in, in that way. And less people will hear about Christ and the church will not be as strong as it would be. Um, you know, if we base everything on ourselves and we don't trust Jesus, trust in these 12 men. I mean, it's amazing. You know, well, they didn't do a very good job. You had to call in Paul, right, to, to fill up the gap, fill up the gap. But Paul was part of the plan as well. But these were all men who were, who were, who were failing men in many ways. They were all men who did not have the higher educations, they were, they were not stupid, but they were not highly educated in that regard. Nonetheless, when he trusted them, he also gave them the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. And we have the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God in your, in your presence. That's a song. We are in your presence. We are alone. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> That song was the end of my worship ministry. <laughs> Praise the Lord! <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> so let's trust Praise people, right? Lord. Let's let's let, let's let their creativity. Let's listen to people in our church, in our leadership. Let's make sure that we don't do all the talking. It never works really good. Never works really good. Pastor Bailey is here, right? Pastor Bailey here. Pastor Bailey, I begged my team on closing leadership years ago. I thought, I don't know what year was it, 2009, 2010. We're going to expand the church tremendously. And I got into this whole thing. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to send out 5,600 postcards in our zip code. And we're going to, I mean, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. And it was a beautiful postcard. And it was amazing. Uh, like, one person really liked it. It was so great. <laughs> made the postcard. <laughs> one person. I was convinced. But I asked my team, and this is, uh, shows my lack of leadership at that time, my learning to, like, but I did say to them, I said, listen, somebody tell me don't do this. Because I'm going to spend $3,000. We probably had $6,000 in our bank account at the most. And Pastor Billy, he was right with the group. And they're all, no, Pastor Shipley, you're amazing. Whatever you do works, right? You do it. I'm like, no, no, somebody say that I'm wrong. And I'll never forget saying to Pastor Billy, uh, afterwards, I said, you know what? Someday I'm going to be called to a missions conference to talk about church planning. And in that conference, I'm going to say, Either, I'm either going to say, whatever you do, spend $3,000 on 5,600 postcards, and you're going to double the size of your church, right, overnight on an Easter. Oh. Or I'm going to say, whatever you do, do not spend $3,000 on <laughs> And believe it or not, Pastor Brian Lynch put my name in somehow to some conference that was happening at Mount Pleasant Church. Remember that, Pastor Brian? And I got called to be the guy to do the session on church planning. And I put together a heck of a, you know, a slideshow. And I did say in that conference, I can't believe that this actually happened, but I said, whatever you do, do not spend. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Bailey. So anyway, guys, yeah, let's trust our people. Let's figure out ways to um, get more people doing more things, giving people opportunities. Uh, and that I think that will help us to grow our leadership in our church, which then will allow them to learn to trust other people as well. Excellent. And then we can, you know, do what we have to do. It's, you know, concentrate on, you know, being leaders and loving people and uh, continuing on in the ministry. God bless you guys. Excellent. <laughs>
<laughs> I was troubled in my home one day. I asked the pastor if he'd show me the way. I heard a preacher shout that God would throw me out if I didn't read my Bible and pray. <laughs> now you get to see this part with me. It's grace plus nothing, you see. Amen. So said the pastor as he looked right at me. There's nothing more to do. God did it all for you. It's grace plus nothing. It's free. Amen. My mind was guilty because of my sin. People tell me it's my nature within. I did the best I could to do the things I should. But it seemed that I could never win. Sing it with me. It's grace plus nothing, you see. So said the pastor as he looked right at me. There's nothing more to do. God did it all for you. It's grace plus nothing, you see. So if you're down and feeling blue, take some advice that I heard. It's true. Believe God's word is real, much more than how you feel. It's grace has made you brand new. Ready? Amen. It's grace plus nothing you see. So said the pastor as he looked right at me. There's nothing more to do. God did it all for you. It's grace plus nothing is free. All right. Yay! Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That thing is absolutely message and song. Thanks for that. That's okay. Yeah. No one can do it any better than Pastor Jim. <laughs> 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 So good. I've never heard a single one. So good. Good morning. Uh, Pastor Shipley and Pastor Bailey and myself. Uh, Pastor Shipley, we were discipled by Pastor Shipley in Silver Spring, uh, 2000. I don't even know. Six. Four, five, Four, five, six. five six, seven. Yeah, so he gave us the opportunity to be able to go evangelize, and he gave us the right to go out there and evangelize. And then he gave us a place where we could do a Bible study. And we would go in on Saturday nights and we would do a Bible study. And Pastor Bailey, I'm sure, could attest to it, that for us as young men, Bible college students, that meant everything. Mm. Like, you know you're called to preach because you have seven people and five of them are asleep. And Pastor Shipley's in the front row looking at you like you're making no sense. And you think it's the greatest experience you've ever had again. It's terrible. But you know it was great. Yeah. I remember the first time Pastor Shipley came in to watch us on a Saturday night. I just remember he had this. Many of you know when he first started preaching, you have to deal with people's faces, right? <laughs> like, especially the person that sleeps through the entirety of your message and then comes up to you afterwards and tells you how great it was. <laughs> and you just sort of meditated, you were snoring, and just trying to get brownie points. <laughs> Isn't that something when you're preaching, you have to deal with people's faces? Right? 
You have to deal with that battle. Well, I had to deal with Pastor Shibley's face the first time he saw me preach. Look at that. <laughs> something on my face? <laughs> oh, that is so I swear not no one. I swear not. Now I know. I'm just thinking, I can do it so much. Yeah! <laughs> We all need those opportunities. We need the opportunity to be able to have the trust from the leader to be able to say, hey, you can go out and do that. And in our ministry, I love it because we teach the anointing. That as a man of God, you're preaching. Would any of us do it if we just felt like God wasn't with us mm -hmm. in what we're doing? Mm -hmm. For sure, I wouldn't be able to have the courage to be able to do it. Right. But to have someone who's in your life that gives you that authority and that trust to say, hey, you can go and do it, and I'm with you in it, and then encourages you is, I think all of us are here because of that. Because we have those people in our life. Uh, Pastor Stan Collins, another one. Pastor Stan uh, in Bible school, not knowing really what to do in the sense of practicum or whatever it is. And I think maybe a little bird got in his ear and said, hey, my son needs a place to go in the direction in life. You mind taking him under your wing? And I went and was with Pastor Stan for uh, a little over three years. And I'm just saying this because everything that we have in the ministry is not from us whatsoever. It's been given to us. So all leadership, uh, team life, it's been given to us. And that's not to say that we have to parrot, we have to mimic. The beautiful thing about being believers and being leaders is that we're all different leaders. Yes. You have certain leaders that are maybe more alpha, go, 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 and they're a natural leader. And then you might have a leader that's maybe more reluctant. I would say I'm more reluctant to be a leader. But when you know that you've been called by God to do it, you say, okay, by faith I'm going to go out and do it, and I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can. And um, Pastor Hadley, I remember he was saying about uh, going on the mission field, he tells a story. And he was thinking when he's on the plane flying to Guayaquil, he's going to get off the plane and he's going to, just have like Superman's got an S on his chest and he's going to have an M on his chest like missionary, I arrived. And then you get there and you realize you're the same person you were before you got on the airplane. And you got the same problems and the same insecurities and the same fears and you have, you're the same person. Mm. And as a leader, sometimes it's, okay, we entrust this guy, go out and be the leader. And you realize I'm the same guy. They're, like, they're, I, this is just the beginning of my journey and maturity in becoming a leader. And I remember Pastor Harry Weisskopf, I don't know if he remembers it, but we, we shared a German sausage one convention, a few of them. We kept arriving at the same place to get a sausage every night, the German blood in us. And I remember sitting down and having a sausage and asking him as a new leader in Federal Hill, um, I feel like I'm always dropping the ball. Yeah. Do you guys feel like that sometimes? Absolutely. Like I could be doing so much more. 
or these people need so much more. And he told me, he said, just do whatever you can do. It was like very simple but wise. And I took that and I go, okay, well, what can I do? What does God have for me to do? And so I just, I jotted down just a few things, and I'm not going to talk too long, and then we can maybe open it up with questions. Uh, but just practical things. Um, the first thing is, as a pastor, let's just say if we're saying team life, how to have a team. The first priority for, for us is nothing but preaching and teaching. I think this can be undervalued. Mm. And the devil is going to undervalue it. Yes. And you'll have people on the team that will come in and undervalue it. And your whole church might come in and undervalue it. Your commission is not to be a CEO. It's not to be an alpha male leader, go, go, go. It's not to drive people. It's to preach and teach. And if our focus is not on that, it becomes, for me at least, it, it becomes trying to please people. Mm-hmm. It's trying to make people happy. It's trying to solve people's problems. But I find that the people that God wants you to have in your church are going to be people that are hungry for the word. And all the other people that aren't there, but they want you to be their savior in their life, they want you to be there so that they can talk to you on the phone for hours on end and not come to a conclusion. They can be people that want you to go and do all these different activities and be their buddy. The thing is, is the people in the church don't need another buddy. They need someone in their life that preaches truth to them. Yes, yes. And you'll get people that leave the church. That's okay. Those people aren't supposed to be there. Right. Half the church leaves because they're not happy with you in the sense of what you're doing as a leader. That's a, that's a blessing. That is a blessing. Because you want the people that are there that want to be taught under the word. Wow. So... If our focus as leaders is the word, I know this is basic for pastors in here, for leaders, but I think I need to hear it over and over again because there can be so many details in the ministry that our eyes get taken off. If I have five hours, how am I going to use it? I would say spend four of them in the word. Because really the depth of your teaching and your preaching is really going to be the byproduct of what the church looks like. Mm-hmm. Even if it, if it's 20 people, those are going to be 20 sanctified, spiritually filled, mature believers. And that's what we're commissioned to do. A um, couple other things. Give people room to grow. I think that's a huge thing. I love the fact that I was under the two leaders that I was under. Uh, you know, my father, Pastor Shively, Pastor Stan. They never really told me what to do, which I I always appreciated. In the moment, maybe not so much. But looking back on it in retrospect, it's the wisest thing to do. If you have people on the team, they're looking for you to tell them what to do. And there's times for that. There's no question. They need direction, and we need direction. But why are you there? If you're there, and you're called to be there, then that should take care of itself. That should be, well, you're called. What are you called to be here for? And I'm not the one who's going to tell you what that is. You have the Lord in your life, and he's going to direct you. So to give people a lot of room, my 
default is to go and to say, hey, you want to preach a message? Hey, you want to teach? Do you want to do that? And I've learned over the years, don't be putting people into positions that they're not ready to be in. Mm -hmm. It's not, sometimes I can try to put people in positions that benefits them but doesn't benefit the body. Because I'm just trying to fill a role or have them do something so they feel valuable. But then I think, man, the guys that I was under, they just said, just sit there and just be a part of it. And I was okay with that. And I feel like as people in the church, they come into the church, what can I do? What program can I be involved in? Can you sit there for a year and not do anything? Yeah. Because if it's all about doing, doing, and there's no rest in the finished work, then you're just going to produce a person who's going to be a little Napoleon in the church just ordering people around. And you're producing little Pharisees in the sense of doing, 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 right? Um, people will look to you to be their savior. People will look to you to solve their problems. I don't know if you guys have been in counseling with people and they lay something out for 45 minutes and then you just sit there and it's like, I don't really have anything to say. It's a rough situation. <laughs> I used to, I remember asking Pastor Hadley again in counsel for me in the sense of, like, I don't have any counseling training. He goes, do you know the Bible I'm working on? He goes, you got enough. You got enough, and that meant a lot. Because you need to know that the authority that you have to be able to speak wisdom is not coming from a degree. Not that that's wrong. But it's coming that the deeper we go into the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will give us the counsel to be able to give to people. Yes. So we, we need that. But we're not people's saviors. It's good to disappoint people. Especially if you're a people pleaser, it's good to disappoint people. Mm. Just, hey, you think I'm great? Hang out with me for a couple hours and be disappointed really quick. <laughs> and people in the church are looking to you to be that savior. Uh, the other thing, is the only authority that I have as a leader and a pastor is from the Word of God. That's it. I don't have any authority outside of that. So as soon as I leave the scripture, the word, I don't really have much authority. Um, little side points. I think as leaders, you guys know this, that you're going to be the target for people's frustration. Um, people had a bad week at work. People had a bad month at church. Where are they going to pour that anger out? It's probably going to be the leader. Be aware of that. Don't take it personally. Um, especially if you can be sensitive about people not being happy with you. Get over that real quick because it's part of it. They're going to look at you and they're going to be upset with you. And you're going to think, what did I do? Hey, and then you're going to try to justify yourself. Don't justify yourself. Don't try to argue your way out of why they shouldn't be angry with you. Let people be people and realize that the position that you're in is to be a man of God in that person's life. And a lot of times that just means to close your mouth and just let them do what they do in certain situations. And then speak up when you want to, when, it, when it's right. Don't let people use you as a doormat. 
but at the same time, give them room to be able to just be loved by you, and maybe it takes a while for that to happen. Uh, on the team, close gaps as soon as you can, um, especially you know if you're in a ministry where you have people in the church and then you have your team. If you feel people that are drifting away from you, try to close that gap as quickly as you possibly can. <clears throat> Because we know where our imaginations like to go. And I was just talking to Pastor Barry about this just a few minutes ago. If you just sit down with a person and you spend a half hour, that can go a very long ways. You're going to disappoint people. Did I already say that? You're going to disappoint people. And this is part of being a leader as well is that you're learning. You're not the leader A++ leader. You're growing as you're leading. And so... You know, be quick to hear. I mean, if someone has something to say, be quick to hear it. If it's correction, if it's something you need to hear, it's a blind spot that you have in your ministry. You know, be able to be a listener. Sometimes we can guard ourselves against any kind of criticism because we think we do no wrong. But when we realize, man, I probably do a lot wrong. I don't want to live in that. But at the same time, I want to be open if someone has something to say. Isn't that true? Yes. I think that's, I think that's good. Um, the other thing is be grateful that people are there. I, Pastor Sand said this to me out in the hallway, and I can say amen to it. I asked him in the sense of the team, because when, we when I was living there, we had maybe 17 people on the team. And he, I can't say it enough in the sense of what a great leader he is. Um, and he was always grateful. When you were with him, you always felt as though that he was so happy that you were with him. He was grateful that you were there. And I feel the same way. Like when people are with me, I'm like, why do these people even want to be here with me? <laughs> You're grateful that they're there. But at the same time, he had a confidence, and we need that same confidence that they're there because we're pastoring and we're leading them. And they're there because they want to be there. And we have something in our own personal life, spiritually, that we're ready to share share with them. And it, isn't it amazing? Mm, yes. It's like when you got married and your wife wants to be with you all the time. <laughs> you guys didn't laugh at that. <laughs> I'm so amazed. I'm like, don't you get tired of me? She's like, no, I just want to be with you, you idiot. Don't you get tired of me? <laughs> want to sit down and talk to you <laughs> and in the same way in the ministry we go man this is amazing because we know don't we know who we are we're very simple we're there's nothing special about us yeah. we're just going along that christ has called us to just shepherd but then he gives us a great authority in the word of god to teach and to preach it and people have an appetite for it and they show up for it Every Sunday, I am so amazed people are in the church. Our church comes a little bit later into the service. So I sit in the front row, and there's like eight people. And I'm like, I knew it. Here go. <laughs> worship. And, and then I get up to preach, and then the church is like filled up with people. And I'm always grateful that they're there. Because they don't have to be there. And the other thing is, they're there to hear something from God. And if I'm not prepared in the Word, to preach and to teach, I'm wasting their time. Like, like if, if I just get up there flippantly and I'm like, these people are going to want it. I'm fun. I can tell a story. 
like I can keep their attention. They are not spending an hour and a half on a Sunday morning to come hear me tell stories. They're coming so that they can hear something from the Lord, from the Word. And when you treat them in that way, in the sense that I respect and honor you as God's sheep, and I'm going to bring everything that I have so that the Word of God can come to you this morning, they're going to respond to that with respect. Like if a leader is trying to gain respect by control, guess what? He's insecure. He's not going to get it. But if he gets it in the sense he's not worried about what people's response is, he's only worried about what he's going to get from the Word and prepare it for the people, the response back is going to be that they want to follow him. And that is really what ministry is. Because you take this away from us, those people will get tired of us in a, yeah. a week, maybe. Right. Something like that. So the, so the word mm. is uh, key. And then lastly, have fun with them. My team, I mean, I'm privileged because, I mean, a couple miles away from greater grace. But I've had people with me from the beginning, like Charles Hadley. He's been with me from the beginning. Um, Tommy, Seth, uh, Zane. Um, and then God's added like amazing people like Gio and Josh and Cody. And I need so much help. God's like, all right, don't worry, I got you. That guy maybe needs two people. You need like 30. <laughs> you need like 20 people. Who need a lot and to realize, yeah, I need a lot of help is a good thing. Because God will add the right pieces at the right time, and we just have a blast just being together, having fun in God's Um And you give people the space and the room to be able to operate with the gifts that they have. And it just makes you be able to do what you do better. Right? Amen. Praise God.